In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From the Epistle to the Hebrews, endure trial for the sake of discipline. In my first year in the ordained ministry, I learned something from the wise parish rector with whom I was serving that I hadn't picked up in clinical pastoral education and had not noticed in my life before seminary. What he pointed out is that when people visit the sick, and especially the very sick, the most frequent comment they make is about their own illness, or their own friends who had illness, or the illness they heard about from someone at work. Sometimes it is deeply inappropriate. A person explains tearfully that they have gotten the news of a almost always fatal illness, and the person responds, Oh, my cat had that disease. (laughs) But at other times, it is deeply appropriate. It is an affirmation of our common humanity. One of the things that unites us is our disappointments and trials and hardships. Nobody gets out of this life without some suffering, No one gets out of this life without disappointments and failures and setbacks and hardships. And so we are linked together by that common experience of trial. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews has two different audiences in mind as the author writes. First, an evangelical audience, an attempt to present the faith of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to those who are Jewish with Jewish images and ideas and metaphors, calling them to a faith if they have not yet embraced it. And secondly, the author writes didactically to those Greek Christians reminding them of what they have deeply in common in, with the people of Israel. That becomes particularly important in the second century as Marcionites and Gnostics and other heterodox people began to question whether the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the same as the God of Abraham and whether in fact they even like one another. The affirmation is important of the unity of the Testaments, the unity of the people of God. And as that argument is presented in today's lesson and the lessons we've heard over the last week from Hebrews, one of the means of that affirmation is the unity of suffering, hardship, in trial people of the Old Testament and people of the New Testament, Jewish Christians and Greek Christians, Jews all together have that experience of trial in this life. 
Last week in chapter 10, we heard an address to the people by the author saying indeed that they had faced hardships and difficulties. On Monday and Tuesday, we move to chapter 11. We have that wonderful roll call of faith in the 11th chapter, that description of all the people who face trials and were victorious over them. Rahab and all those other fellows in the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Samton and Barak and Gideon and David and the prophets. They suffered and they faced trials and they conquered. By my way of thinking, this passage, while beautiful, is a little bit like a runaway sermon illustration. You know, may know what I mean. It's when you have a story which is so delightful and so much fun to tell that you put it in the sermon, giving it more weight than it actually bears in the argument you're presenting. And then yesterday, finally, we move on to the major point, which is, and yet, there were many others who did not yet receive the promise made to them. There are others in the Old Testament who wait in expectation, who are tried, which brings us to today's lesson, written to Christians in the midst of trial, not yet to the point of death, but you are being tried. Back in 2000, Ephraim Radner, the Episcopal theologian, wrote an article with an intriguing title. It was titled, Bad Bishops, the Key to Anglican Ecclesiology. <laughs> the point he made was that all Christian people who are serious Christians live out their subjection to Christ by being subject to some form of the body of Christ in the present world. And that form of the body always falls short. And that becomes particularly the case to Episcopalians in their role of obedience to bishops and accepting the headship of bishops. Now, if you're a seminarian, you can substitute deans and faculties in that same slot. <laughs> but in fact, often in this life, living in the body of Christ entails its own trials and difficulties. And those trials have not gone away even when Christians reach positions of dominance and are a religion that no longer has its members executed, at least in many parts of the world. We still face some hardship. We still face trial. It's a part of our lives. Back in the 18th century, the Congregational theologian Jonathan Edwards made a major shift in his pastoral care which no doubt contributed to the Great Awakening. Clergy before him had told those who struggled for a sense of conversion and had not yet found it 
that their personal struggles was simply a reflection of the fact that most people are damned anyway, and they were simply recognizing the state of the world as it existed. But Edward saw in that very struggle the finger of God, the leading hand of the Spirit, touching them and assured them that hope and conversion and salvation was near. The author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs to make a parallel point. The very fact of our trial, trial from society at large, and I would add trial self-imposed by the church itself, are signs that we are being disciplined by God's love. A parent does not discipline a strange child to whom there is no relation, but the parent shapes the child out of deep love. The author of Hebrews looks forward to our great culmination when we follow the perfecter of our faith into the heavenly Jerusalem, but in the presence finds already a sense of assurance and hope in the very fact that we face struggles, hardships, and difficulties in this life. They are a sign for Israel in Proverbs and a sign for the new church of God's love and care for us. And the author writes, endure trials for the sake of discipline. Amen.